According to fivestarfoods.com, the average grocery store in America carries 39,500 items. That gives us a lot of choices. When I was growing up, there wasn't such a thing as a cereal aisle. There were Cheerios, Wheaties. I think there might have been shredded wheat. It was pretty much that. But now there are 14 different kinds of Cheerios. When it comes to who you married when I was growing up, usually it was somebody from your town or somebody from your high school, but now there are 1,500 dating apps that you can find somebody through. When I was growing up, most people sort of did what their parents did as far as work went. The average millennial will have six different jobs before reaching the age of 26. So what's my point? Here's my point. We face 35,000 decisions every single day. Does God guide us through each one of those if we follow Jesus? I mean, does God really care whether we eat yogurt burst Cheerios or a kale smoothie for breakfast? Does God have one specific person and only one chosen for us to marry? Does God have a particular job or could we do whatever kind of job we want to do? Does God care about all these things? How does God guide us? If God, and we've been talking about God in this Q&A series for five weeks now, we've been talking about, you know, what's the meaning of life, we've been talking about the importance of Jesus, we've been talking about faith and prayer, we've been talking about how God reveals himself to us, all these different things. So if there's a God who has a son named Jesus who came to the earth, we believe, to live a perfect life and then to exchange that life so we can have a new life, does he care about the things that we are and do? Well, yes, he does. In fact, the Apostle Paul has an amazing statement about who we are and what God calls us to do in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So God calls us his masterpiece. The actual word in Greek is poema. We get our word poem from it. Have you ever thought of yourself as God's poem? You are the masterpiece of God. If you've ever thought that you don't matter, that, that you don't make a difference, that you're not good at anything, just understand the God of the universe loves you infinitely. The God of the universe loves you so much that he sent his only son here to exchange his life for yours. You have a meaning and purpose, a destiny in life. In the church, we often call that a calling. And sometimes when people say he has a calling or she has a calling, we think that's only for pastors or missionaries. The truth of the matter is God calls every single one of us to live our lives in a particular way for his glory. Now, that doesn't mean that every single detail of our lives is determined. It doesn't mean if we've ever taken a wrong turn that we can never get back on the path. I've taken a lot of wrong turns in my life. And when I turn back, what the Bible calls repent, God is always willing to receive me back. It's the same with you. Nelson Mandela said this, don't judge me by my successes, judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. You see, it doesn't matter how young or old we are when we get on that path or how many times we get up. When we start following the path, God is there to guide us. It's sort of like, have you ever been in your car and you wanted to go someplace you've never been before? And so you turn on the GPS and what do you do? You just start following the GPS. Wherever it says, turn right, you turn right. But at a certain point, I don't know if this ever happened to you. It happens to me all the time. I decide that the GPS might not know the right place, so I turn left when it says to go straight. And you know what the GPS doesn't do? It doesn't say, that's it, I've had it. I'm not showing you where to go. You won't even turn the way I tell you. All the GPS does is say, 
rerouting, rerouting. And then eventually, what does the GPS say? You have arrived at your destination. And you see, the analogy breaks down because God is not a piece of technology. In fact, God is a real person who loves us and wants to have a relationship with us that's real and personal. He has a purpose for every single person, and he's infinitely patient with each of us. Psalm 32 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. So how does God do that? How does God instruct and teach us, counsel and watch over us? How does God guide us? Well, we're going to say that God does that, and we're going to say it in our take-home point. For those of you who have who've never been here before, the take-home point is the one point that I'm going to make right now that I hope that we'll take with us and remember and live out in the week ahead, and here it is. God uses the five C's to guide our lives. Now, I put five C's in quotes because anytime somebody says to you five C's or seven steps, there might only be four C's or there could be six C's or there might be 10 steps. But the point is simply this, God does have purposeful ways to guide us. Henry Blackaby, if you were here a few years ago, that name rings a bell. Henry Blackaby, he wrote a book called Experiencing God. And he said, God guides us in four ways that God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and through other believers. Now in the Alpha course, Nikki Gumbel and the folks that wrote that, they added a fifth way that God guides us. The other four are pretty much the same, but I, I really like that Henry Blackaby said God speaks to us, but Nikki Gumbel says God guides us. God doesn't just talk to hear himself speak, but when he opens his mouth, he speaks to give us instruction, to, to do us good, to guide and direct our lives. So let's look at the five C's right now. Before we do that, pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love us, that you first of all created us, and when we turned against you, you didn't say that's it but you have continued to guide and instruct us in so many different ways. As we look at these five ways that you have guided us and continue to guide us in our lives, God, we pray that even as I speak, you will guide us through these words, that we will know you more fully, that we'll love you more deeply, and that we'll follow you more faithfully. We pray these in things in Jesus' name, amen. So the first C is commanding scripture. And that's just Henry Blackaby's Bible. The Bible is God's guidebook for our lives. The psalmist wrote these words thousands of years ago. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've been reading or listening to the Bible every day for the past 59 years. Through it, I've come to know God's voice and understand his will. Now, a lot of times when we use that word will, God's will, what we mean is I want to know exactly who it is I'm supposed to marry. I want to know exactly what job I'm supposed to do. I, I want to know exactly when I get money in my bank account, how am I supposed to distribute it? I want to have every little detail. And God does care about the details. But God has a bigger picture. In fact, God cares most that we come to know him and to follow him through his son, Jesus. You see, God cares most about the relationship that he wants to build with you and with me. God cares that we know that he loves us and he wants us to love him in return. So that's God's call in our lives is to love him and to love each other, to love our families, our friends, our coworkers, our schoolmates, and people that we meet who are strangers and amazingly enough, even our enemies. So 
we find so many ways in God's Word, in the Bible, that teach us to do these things. And you know, everybody out there is struggling in the world. In fact, I think all of us in this room are struggling at some point as well. And you know, each of us can make a difference. We can do that with our giving, but we also do that, I think, primarily in our relationships, in our interactions with one another. So God's Word teaches us how to use time, how to use our talents, how to use our treasure and our touch to bring glory to Him but also to live in a way that is better for every single person in our sphere of influence. Jesus said, we are the light of the world, but his meaning by that is we give, we give direction and help. Dark rooms, all you have to do is turn on a little light and it makes a big difference. And that's what we're called to be wherever we go in the world. So God also in the Bible, he purposed for us to become like Jesus. Jesus is our role model. There are four books of the Bible dedicated to Jesus' life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection because Jesus is the Son of God. If we want to know how to live, the best thing to do is look at Jesus and let Jesus be our role model. And the reality is, he wants us to be people of integrity. So from cover to cover, we read accounts of people's lives and their interaction with God or the opposite of that because there are people of integrity in the Bible but there are also people who aren't. And the, scriptures, hey, the Scripture doesn't gloss over that. The Scripture says, see these people? Don't live like that. You know, we can learn from negative examples as well as we can learn from positive examples, right? So the other thing that we can learn from the Bible is what to pray about and what not to pray about. Now, here's a sort of funny one. Do you know what you don't have to pray about? Whether to pay your taxes. You don't have to pray about that because the Bible says we're supposed to pay our taxes. According to the alpha materials that I looked through in preparing this message, there was a guy who became a believer. And so he wrote a letter to the IRS. He said, I have just become a believer and I couldn't sleep last night, so here's $2,000 that I owe you. If I can't sleep tonight, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> so remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which we read earlier? It says God has good things for us to do. Some translations read good works. Now, we aren't saved by good works. We aren't brought into relationship with God by what we do. But once we're in a relationship with God, good works follow that relationship because we start to change from the inside out. And the thing is, there are certain good works that God has created for you to do before the foundation of the universe. And if you don't do them, nobody can because they're just for you. They're your good works, and nobody else can do your good works. So how do we know what those are? How do we know what it is precisely that God wants us to do? Well, one of the ways we find that out is through the second C, which is the compelling spirit, the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the living God comes and lives inside of every human being who trusts Jesus as Savior and Lord. And as the Holy Spirit starts to speak in our lives, we start to hear and understand the voice of God, and we start to be guided in that way. But here's the thing. Have you ever had a phone call? Now, I know everybody has caller ID. Now, so you always know who's calling. But be, think, if you can think back to when there wasn't caller ID, the phone rings and somebody says, hey, it's Mike. And you go, hi, Mike, how you doing? But you don't know which Mike it is because you know like 25 mics, right? And so Mike's going on and you don't recognize the voice and you're, you're, finally you say, how's the family, Mike? Because you hope that he's saying, well, Kathy's doing fine or Michelle's doing fine because then you'll know which Mike it is. Well, it's sort of that way when you first start to hear the voice of God. But here's the thing. When Nancy, my wife, calls, and this is true even when I was dating her, she only has to say one word, hi, and I know who it is. It's because I've come to know her so well. 
And that's what happens with us over time as we listen to the Holy Spirit. More and more, we understand that it's him and that he's calling us. For me, the challenge has really not been for a long time knowing when the Holy Spirit is speaking. It's that I don't like what he says. I I don't like what he tells me to do. And that goes all the way back to when I was 17 and he called me to be a pastor. But it's about a whole lot more mundane things than that. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody, you're talking about somebody else behind their back and you have this voice in your head that's going, no, you shouldn't be doing that. I've done that. And unfortunately, I don't always stop. But that voice is the voice of God, the very guiding voice of the Holy Spirit telling us how we are and are not supposed to continue to live. The reality is the Apostle Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit doesn't just sort of give us advice. He calls us to action. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says this, God works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So the Holy Spirit will bring us to action. The other thing about the Holy Spirit is sometimes he communicates in strange ways. Sometimes he'll give us a vision. Sometimes he communicates through dreams. Sometimes he communicates through a prophetic word. Somebody else will say something to us, and it doesn't even make sense to the person saying it, but to us it's transforming. The Holy Spirit works in common ways and in uncommon ways to help us to understand God's direction. The third C is counsel of the saints, which is Henry Blackaby's The Church or Other Believers. Now, don't get hung up on the word saints. In the early church, every believer was considered to be a saint. You don't have to be one of those people that's on a stained glass window in a church somewhere, but every person who trusts Jesus as Savior and Lord is a saint. And counsel of the saints is very simple. It means that you're going through a struggle in your life and you don't know what to do, so you sit down with your small group. And in your small group, you talk about it. And in the small group, somebody says a word and it's really the word of the Lord to you. Or maybe it's your accountability partner. Or maybe it's as simple as going out into this hallway after worship today and somebody says something to you and it's a direct word from the Lord for you. So counsel of the saints. The Proverbs, King Solomon wrote these words in Proverbs, the wise listen to others. And then it says, from, form your purpose by asking for counsel, then carry it out using all the help you can get. I'm so grateful for Nancy's advice over the years in so many ways, for people from, uh, from this church and the staff in particular. But ultimately, here's the thing. Other people can give us input, but we're ultimately responsible for what we do, Right? And it's nice to have advice from other people, and it's certainly great to have the Holy Spirit speak to us, but here's the question. How do we know when the Holy Spirit speaks, when somebody else speaks into our life, if that's really God speaking, or if it, it might be a demon? Or, or maybe we wake up in the middle of the night and we have this thought in our head, and we think it's the Holy Spirit, but it's really just the pizza with everything that we ate before we went to bed that woke us up at 2 o'clock in the morning. So how do we know? Well, the scripture says it very clearly. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. There are a few easy things that we can do when we think God's leading us. The first thing is to simply ask, does it line up with God's written word? Because the Holy Spirit will never tell us to do something that's contrary to the written word of God. How about this? Is it loving? God is love, so if you're called to do something that's not loving, you can be sure that that's not from God. In fact, we've all heard about people who have actually killed other people, and what what have they said? God told me to do it. 
No, God didn't tell us to do that. And what about this one? It's actually scriptural. When you hear it and when you act on it, does it bring peace in your life? Because Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So when God speaks to us through either a commanding scripture or his compelling spirit or through the counsel of the saints, peace comes as part of the whole process. The fourth C, I love this one. This is the added one that Henry Blackaby doesn't have, is common sense. Common sense. God promises to guide us, but he still asks us to engage our brains. We're not robots that just walk around listening and doing what God says. We engage our minds. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, these words. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. To put it simply, Paul said, use your mind and as you're thinking, God will guide you. That's really the main way that God has guided me over the years. I've been reading scripture, I've been listening to the Holy Spirit, but eventually there comes to a point where I go, huh, that just makes sense. I should probably do that. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes when it's just a common sense thing, we say, God told me. Well, When we say God told me, we should be talking about something where God actually did give us a specific word, such as four years ago when God said to me, Chris, you're going to be done as pastor at New Life on June 20 or June 30th of 2024. And I, I didn't tell everybody that right away. In fact, I've known it for four years, but we didn't tell everybody about it until February because we wanted to think it through, talk it through, pray it through, and make sure that we heard the word of God. Because as soon as somebody says, God told me, plays the God card, what can you say to that? It's sort of hard to go, well, if God told you, right? But sometimes we're in a conversation and you might say, it it seems right that we would do this. And then the other person says, well, yeah, but what about this? And, And eventually we can discern the will of God in those common sense conversations more effectively than if we just did whatever we were going to do on our own. So the Bible offers us the general will of God for many things. In fact, what we find in the Bible is that singleness is a high calling, but the norm is marriage. But you can't turn to a chapter and verse in the Bible that tells you who you're supposed to marry. There are times where God will say, you should marry this person, the voice of God from the Holy Spirit. But what does the scripture tell us? It tells us we shouldn't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What does that mean? It means that we're, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we should marry another believer in Jesus Christ. It tells us some very specific things. What about our job? I mean, that's something that all of us at some point in our life are gonna say, what is God calling me to do with my life? And Paul said something very interesting to the Ephesian believers. He said, well, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. When you become a believer, just keep doing it. Then he says, well, wait a minute. If you're a thief, you should stop doing that. So in other words, if you're doing work that is contrary to the will of God, you should stop doing that when you become a believer. But otherwise, you should keep doing what you're doing until God calls you to something different. That's especially true when God has already gifted you and given you pleasure in the work that you're doing. The fifth C is circumstantial signs. God is sovereign. That's a fancy way of saying that God's in control. He knows what's happening. Whether it's a good thing, a bad thing, an ugly thing, God is involved in it. The Apostle Paul put it this way, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
In every detail of our lives, as I said, in the good things, in the bad things, in the ugly things, God knows what's happening, and God is working in those to do good in us and through us. There are times where we choose to do sinful things, and even in the midst of those sinful things, God is at work. He's not in work in the sin, but he's at work in us, in the sin, to transform us and bring us to an end that's good for us and good for those around us. Whatever situation you're in right now, I mean whatever situation you are in right now, God is with you in that situation and he's plotting to do you good and he's plotting to work good in your life. God is guiding you and me at every moment. Sometimes though, we don't see that except in hindsight. Probably the best example of that that I can think of in my own life is Nancy and I got married back in 1979 and after a couple years we decided it was time to have a family so we started trying to have children and for eight years from the time we were married, we, Nancy couldn't get pregnant. And so in the eighth year she finally got pregnant we're so excited, we're praising God and then a few weeks later she had a miscarriage. And it was, it was the worst point in our lives to that point. And a week after that, one week after that happened, I was supposed to preach a message that was titled Grief and Hope. It was from 1 Thessalonians, from this verse, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. When I preached that message, what I focused on is that When bad things happen, when you lose a a baby, when somebody you love dies, when a relationship ends, when you lose that job or don't get the job that you thought you wanted, it's okay to grieve. In fact, one of the things that happened whenever we had the miscarriage is people, well-meaning other Christians, came up to me and said, oh, don't worry, you'll have more. Don't worry, God just needed another angel. And I'll be honest with you, it took everything I could not to punch those people right square in the mouth. Because I, first of all, I'm theologically astute. I know that when we die, we don't become angels. We become like angels. So first of all, it's theologically wrong. Second of all, it's just absolutely insensitive. But here's the point. After that message, I had more people than I've ever had came up to me and said, I wish you would have preached that message a year ago. I wish you would have preached that message three years ago. I needed to hear that message. And the truth is, I couldn't preach that message three years ago. Or a year ago. I couldn't preach it until I had experienced what Nancy experienced more than I ever could imagine, losing a baby. But God used that for good. He continues to use it for good. Maybe I helped you not to say something stupid the next time something terrible happens in somebody's life just now. That would be a good application of of all of this. So When we let God guide us through circumstances, let me tell you, all circumstances that God brings to us are not bad. Some of them are really good circumstances. A little more than five years ago, I got an email from a pastor called Joe Tung, and that email said there are three sisters. They live in Canada right now. They need a home in America. Do you know anybody in your church who could take them into your home? And immediately, my mind goes this way. Scripture says, true religion before the Lord is this, care of widows and orphans in their distress and keeping oneself unstained from the Lord. Next thing was three empty bedrooms in our house. Next thing was we've already raised two daughters. What could, how hard could it be to raise three more, right? So, so anyway, we did, we have, 
And all of us have been the beneficiaries of Teresa, Kina, and Miko being part of our lives. So when we let God guide us, whether it's through his commanding scripture, through its compelling spirit, through the counsel of the saints, whether it's through common sense, or whether through its circumstantial signs, what happens is that God changes us and God changes circumstances. And it could be something so simple like joining a small group. It could be working on a team in the church. It could be homeschooling your children. It could be any of those things. And in the midst of doing those little things every single day, what we don't know might happen is that the will and purpose of God will be done in a way that impacts all of eternity. Only in hindsight, and perhaps in this case, it's only in the hindsight of Jesus standing there with his arm around us as we're hearing him review our lives with us when we go to be with him one day. And he says, remember when you did that? This is what happened because of that. Remember when you did that? This is what happened. Remember when you didn't do that? This is what happened because you didn't do that. And, and then he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master's kingdom, and we will be grateful for all eternity for having been guided by those simple things, whether a word from Scripture or word from the Spirit, whether some other believer helped us in some way or a circumstance or just common sense, all of those things. And why will we be grateful? Because through it, Jesus will be glorified and his kingdom will be growing. So that's why today's next step is, it's very simple but not easy. It's I will follow God's guidance in small and big ways this week. I want us to remember God's guidance is all around us all the time. And every time we say yes to God and no to the world, or we say no to the world and yes to God, what happens is one more step in advancement of the kingdom of God, one more step of glorifying the one who created us and who loves us with an everlasting love. Amen? While we don't need God to help us make decisions like what cereal we're going to have in the morning, we do need God's help guiding us through some of the bigger issues in life. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, well then what's the point of going to God? Because we can't even go to God without His Son, Jesus. And so if you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's the day. Here at New Life, we say that it is as simple as ABC. A, we admit that we're sinners and that we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And B, we believe. We believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We believe that He is the Son of God and that He came to this earth and that He died on the cross for our sins. And C, we confess it. We confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we commit to following Him in the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now, I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation you can either pray it with me or you can say it in your own words. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner and God, I need Jesus to rescue me from my sins. And Father, I believe that Jesus is your son and that he died on the cross for my sins. And God, I confess to everyone that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I commit to following him every day, Lord. And Father, I will seek you. I will come to you for guidance when the things in life happen that I just can't handle on my own, Lord, because I know that I need you. And I know that I need your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that I pray. 